Hello, everyone. Uh, thanks for tuning in to I Don't Get It. Uh, we are proud to be part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Uh, my name is Fonda. Paul is still working at the Fringe as we're recording this, but we have brought in a number of cool guests today to talk about um, some of the things that happened at the Fringe, shows we all saw, the shows that are being held over, um, all manner of things. So um, we're going to get into that right away. <laughs> Okay, well, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us here in the Edmonton Community Foundation studio for the I Don't Get It podcast. Um, Okay, there's a lot of you here, so Mm -hmm. how about we just start with some introductions. I'll give you 10 seconds each, uh, starting on my left here. I'm Mel Priestley, and I write things. <laughs> I'm uh, Paul Matwichuk. I also write things for 18 Bridges and Penthouse Magazine. Okay. I'm Alejandro Moreno. I've been enjoying theater for about 20 years and here in Edmonton for about 14. I'm Jean-Paul Fournier. I'm part of uh, another podcast called The Movie Jerks. And I'm Danielle Rose. I'm an actor and a musician here in Edmonton. All right. And we were all, including myself, part of something this year at the Fringe called Beer Tent Reviews. And I'm just going to throw to our co-producer, Andrew, to tell us um, what was Beer Tent Reviews and why did why did that happen this year? Yeah, absolutely. Hello, everyone. Uh, so Beer Tent Reviews uh, is a 64-page zine that uh, also coincidentally reviewed 64 Fringe shows this year. And uh, the idea behind it was that our last alt-weekly in the city shut down in November last year. And uh, my co-publisher and editor, Trent Wilkie, and I uh, sort of saw an opportunity to fill some of that uh, coverage gap that uh, was going to be happening at the Fringe this year. Uh, Because the alt-weeklies used to uh, play a very big role in covering every single show at the Fringe, which was this massive undertaking. Uh, And I know that most people in this room, or a a few people in this room at least, remember putting those issues together, particularly you, Paul, uh, (laughs) at C when you would quarterback uh, the actual print issue uh, at C Magazine. Um, so we didn't review every single show, uh, maybe next year or two years from now. <laughs> uh, but the idea was to not only um, cover the shows, but make sure that we had a writing team that had the sort of knowledge of working that, that theater and arts beat uh, at some point in their careers. Uh, because a lot of the complaints that have been going on about reviews is you sort of get, you know, the editor's plumber's son uh, contracted to come in just to fill a, a hole, uh, just to get as much coverage as possible, even though they might not be a theater writer at any other point in time in the year. So you get a lot of general reporters in there um, <laughs> writing reviews of varying quality. I don't like musicals, but... Oh, yeah, that is I, always or, the I best. hate improv or clown shows or whatever, and then <laughs> proceed to write the rest of the review. You. Yeah, um, so I think the, the the kernel of why Beer Tent Reviews uh, was received so well uh, is because of the very experienced and talented bylines that were in the book, uh, writing uh, those reviews and seeing those shows. Okay, also the Beer Tent Reviews was one of the outlets, um, along with TwelfthNight.ca, um, that did not employ star ratings for the reviews. Um, how did you all feel about reviewing shows without uh, that sort of quantitative marker in them? Love it. <laughs> uh, I, when I was editing at the All Weeklies, I 
uh, during the regular season with movie reviews and plays, I never had star ratings. During the Fringe, I would have star ratings because the reviews were so short. I kind of felt that the stars did some work that you know that the shortness of the view didn't. But uh, I think as a as a you know as a general principle, I like the idea of there not being any star ratings and forcing people to read the complete review and get a sense of it rather than just kind of walking around the fringe with a list of all the shows ranked in order of number of stars they got as if that is equal to a list of the shows that are the best or the ones that they somehow now want to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I agree with Paul. I think the concept of not having stars is great for um, those of us who kind of know what we're looking at and uh, really want to give those shows the opportunity to sing and really want to give the writing in the reviews the opportunity to sing. I think after I saw the printout of the Beer Tent reviews, which is beautiful and fabulous, um, maybe it asks a little more of our audience rather than, you know, because typically you would pick up an edition and you would flip through and you go, oh, that one has five stars, I'll read this review, or that one has two stars, I'll read this review because you know, car crash. Um, <laughs> so I think, it, I think it does require a little more engagement from the audience, but I don't think that's a bad thing in any way. Well, um, I guess from the, the artist's point of view, a lot of them are looking for the stars, though, because uh, that's an easier advertisement. Only if they're good. Well, mm -hmm. well, no, not true, because uh, and we'll keep your, uh, I've actually had a zero-star show, and I had the last in the fringe, because the last time the, the artist actually complained, and it was removed for having it but my zero star show was packed because people wanted to see it mm -hmm. uh and we actually when we got it we we deserved it uh and it was because of the venue the venue did not uh, shut the doors and they allowed a band to come in so while we're performing the band was t by testing out their equipment in the back <laughs> and it, it was an, a disaster show and we were panicking because it was happening we didn't know how to deal with it it, it was awful but that we had lineups out the door because they saw a zero star mm -hmm. And they wanted to see this. And the concept was perfect because it was a show about comedians uh, doing sketches about comedy while being heckled by pro like professional stand-up comedians. <laughs> so the show was a disaster right from the start. And, yeah, it worked for us. Mm -hmm. So in those cases, it does. Like If you get a two or a three star, that's... Yeah. That's death. Yeah, that, well, yeah. that's one of one of the editor's remarks in the Beer Tent Reviews magazine mm -hmm. is that the three star is perhaps the most like loathed <laughs> star rating because it doesn't give audience members who are looking at the star reviews or, or the star ratings, um, it doesn't really give them a decision or a recommendation. It's just sort of like, well, yeah, it's, it's okay. Um, and I do think, though, that um, not having the star ratings, though it does force people to read the actual review, um, s kind of the work that we did, I think, in Beer Tent Reviews was almost a little bit more for the the seasoned theater goer. Like, if you recognize a name on a playbill or something like that, like a performer or a playwright, you're a little more likely to read all the way through what someone thought of that show, other than, you know, a random one, like, say, um, who's never been to Edmonton before, who is now holed over, Willie Carlisle. Um, no one really knew about that show. No one knew him. It didn't really get reviewed. Um, but now it's in the holdovers. And I did see it. And I thought it was actually like a pretty freaking great show. Um, what were some of your thoughts on the other holdovers that made it? Did anybody see any of them? The Green Line, Reality Crack? I saw The Green Line. And it's fantastic. It's great. Um, I, I, Makram Ayach. The playwright, he he did uh, Harun last year, which I also saw and was really, really good. 
so yeah, I was excited to see it, and, and yeah, it's it's solid. Uh, Macram's getting better, and yeah, I think it's deserved. What's the what's the premise with the sort of story in the Green Line? Uh, there's it's two uh, without kind of spoiling it. There's two. Um, uh, gay couples in Beirut, in Lebanon, and their um, their lives kind of interact with each other and cross over in in, in interesting ways. Cool. Um, the other one, uh, Reality Crack, was one that I think a couple of us in the room had yeah, seen. Yeah, I saw yeah. Reality Crack. I loved it. What were some? What, what, so was, what was it about? What was it about? <laughs> and I laugh because I don't know? really know. Will we ever know? <laughs> um, I think. The surrealist and abstract nature of the piece leaves you with an impression that is undeniable. What that impression is, is going to be different for every single audience member. And I think that stems from the beautiful work that Candice Berlinguet and Laura Raboud have done together as playwrights and creators, but also as performers. Like there's such a give and take um, between, between their performances on the stage. The mosaic nature of the moment-to-moment philosophical, hilarious, odd journey of the piece is really hard to describe, but um, but you kind of sit there and, and you plug into a different way of thinking almost. They really tap into your brain and, and get it, get it on that almost like Virginia Woolf kind of stream of consciousness mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, it's, it's bonkers mm-hmm. and wonderful. Yeah, when I was sitting watching it, I was just I was thinking I was like, this won't work any other way. You have to be here with them. It has to be a theater piece. It has to be live, mm-hmm. um, and you have to kind of feel it with them on on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I I I think it's kind of like a neat um, inclusion in the. Um, in the uh, holdovers because it didn't really, it didn't get a lot of um, exposure in the reviews either. That that interests me just, I, one of my uh, peeves, I guess, about, about the, sometimes you, is that a lot, a lot of shows don't seem to really want to be plays or they haven't really thought about what can this medium bring to this material that is unique or, Special and so many. I see, you know, you see a lot of fringe plays that feel like the person writing them actually would rather be writing a screenplay or writing mm-hmm. a sitcom, and they haven't really made it a theater piece. It doesn't need to be, you know. I'm not saying it has to be full of mime or physical theater or some kind of, you know, hugely stylized thing. But they, I feel like the fringe place where you kind of need to have that extra element of of what, you know, the liveness or the abstractness of theater can, can yeah, kind of bring like, to material. This could and, actually only be a yeah, fringe show. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, would it be main stage or any other way? Um, and so while TEDxRFT also got hold over, TEDxRFT is like one of Rapid Fire Theater's ongoing chimprov outfits. They always sell out. It's Julian Fade and, um, um, oh, help me. Corey. And Corey Mathewson. Um, and they improvise TED Talks. It's always fun. Um, and again, uh, Willie Carlisle from Arkansas, There Ain't No More. He does mask. He does Americana, folklore. It is a, a beautiful show. Um, and his first time to the Fringe, so I hope that he will be back again after these um, holdovers. 
All right, so let's chat a little bit about um, some of our top picks, all the top picks that, that you want to go through that, that you thought you saw. How about we start with, with Danielle on sure. the side over here? Hi. Um, I mean, one of the things for me with this Fringe is that I haven't actually been in town for Fringe since 2008. So it's been a very long time. And in that in that time, I've been to Edinburgh Fringe. I've been to, you know, I've been living in the UK for a long time. And I was like completely open to what the Edmonton Fringe this year was going to offer. I had zero expectations. And I think that set me up to be completely floored by most of the things that I saw. And I'm I'm hard to please. <laughs> and you also saw a lot. Way more than what's in the beer tent. Really I was makes. making up for last time. <laughs> um, I, one of my big general impressions was the power of, uh, you know, inclusivity and, and uh, women in theater this year. Um, even not just women doing theater, but, you know, that feminist angle of... Uh, talking about how men are dealing with the new rules of the game, even though they shouldn't be new rules, but mm. hey. <laughs> um, so, plays like Hack, I absolutely loved. The writing was brilliant. The execution was fantastic. I think it needs an ending. That's, you know, an important part that, that you know, can, can be grown, I think. But um, but the way that they dealt with the layering of the issues of of the underlying misogyny of, of the nice guys that we all know and that we all love but have maybe um, issues with talking about something in their past or some habit that they're unaware of. I just thought it dealt with it fantastically. Red as well was one of my favorite plays. I mean, obviously, it's Tony Award winning um, and Rothko is uh, such an enig enigmatic character to follow but I thought the execution of it was was really quite superb yeah and Michael Peng was show. quite quite mm. perfect in yeah. that role yeah. um, as Mark Rothko too yeah. yeah I mean it's it's quite highbrow very intelligentsia style stuff so I love that I love it for that but I think even if you haven't read Nietzsche <laughs> it's it's still really accessible um, and of course Queen Lear is Dead was my was my top one that was a big Absolutely one top. yeah in the reviews too Queen Lear is Dead was a huge everyone who, who I heard who saw it lo really loved that show I'm seeing it again on Saturday oh cool <laughs> well there are so many different outcomes mm -hmm. I want to follow them all I want to I want to I don't want to miss anything all right. How about JP? Well, actually, I would agree with Red. Red was my favorite that I've seen. Uh, I actually got goosebumps throughout the like the basically the dialogue is so exceptionally sharp, and these two actors just nailed it. Like um, one of the things I find with because uh, I've seen quite a few shows in a row, I find I can sense when the actors have gotten to auto mode. Uh, where they're just actually on their timing and they're yeah they're just letting it slide and they're not in the moment and whereas red I found I didn't didn't notice that whatsoever um, I was trying to keep notes uh, from like just things I might have forgot Hopeless. with red yeah with red <laughs> I just put it away and just let myself just be lost in that the, the conversation uh, it's spectacular like I, I I got all my friends to head to that one as soon as I saw it um, and then I got what I would like to actually for fringe wise uh, Thundercats the musical. <laughs> Uh, was exceptionally fun. Uh, I took my uncle, who's also J.P. Fournier, uh, a director as well. Oh, that's 
What's yeah. the other J.P. That's Fournier? Other, yeah. I have been wondering that for a while. Well, which helped the, <laughs> this Beer Tent review because my name has a little gravitas in the, the fringe because of him. I definitely <laughs> thought that it would be <laughs> the longest time. Well, when Andrew told me, he's like, I got J.P. Fournier, I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> How did <laughs> Well, I, I actually, what's great about this fringe, I got to go to probably about five days straight with him. And so seeing it through a, a director's point of view, he's actually pointing out things to me that I wouldn't catch. Uh, in other shows and other productions uh, and taking him to Thundercats the musical was kind of more my like he was he had some students in there but he n never knew about the cat uh, the Thundercats cartoon so as he watched it he laughed throughout the whole thing <laughs> thinking this was the most brilliant writing that he has heard and and then when I showed him the cartoon after he's like oh that's even better yeah. wow <laughs> and he was yeah, we were completely blown away with the, the amount of effort they put into it Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I got goosebumps in that one too. There was a couple songs they had. Their harmonies were so spectacular. I was very impressed with that one. So cool. Um, total. A little bit of a side note. J.P. Fournier, um, the the elder, was the elder. Um, was uh, the judge <laughs> oh, that's of how we're called, yeah. many <laughs> of our um, one act competitions at Vic when we were all in theater kids in high school. Oh. So that's how that's how we've grown up knowing who J.P. Fournier is. So how about some of your picks that you were? Well, uh, from the ones I've seen that are, that are not in the reviews, I again, I just wanted to shout out the green line again. Um, I saw The Flying Detective. I think the accidental humor is just getting better every time as well, so that's, that's great. Mm -hmm. Their prop work and their video work is just really solid. Timing. And, and wow. Yeah, yeah, very funny. <clears throat> um, and uh, and uh, maybe we can seg segue into something else that you, Paul, were going to mention, uh, are you loving it? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, I, I like that a lot. I, 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 can, uh, I can talk about that uh, uh, a little bit later. I think that's probably a good yeah, segue into... Yeah, we were, we were going to segue into that uh, with our talk about audience participation, because uh, I did see some audience participation with Paul in that mm -hmm. show. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Are You Loving It was a huge hit. Most people yeah. loved it, but didn't know what to think of it. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just wild, and uh, you know the chances of seeing others Japanese clown show in town are pretty slim, so if you haven't seen it, like, you should. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. All right. Uh, I guess the show I liked the best of what I saw was a show called St. Kilda, uh, which is a one-woman show by a writer-performer from... Oh, somewhere in the States. New York? New York? I was going to say New York. I wasn't sure. Uh, uh, it is sort of a... Uh, it's a it's a spooky show, and for a long time you're not sure if it is going to be a story about a ghost or a story about more kind of earthly, uh, sinister figures. Uh, but this performer, Jody Christofferson, is uh, 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 does a uh, uh, creates a kind of soundscape uh, as the show goes on, kind of looping very simple sound effects into this kind of you know eerie backdrop to her storytelling. The light she's kind of shrouded in shadow as she. Uh, tells it, but it, but it, it's not quite like campfire spooky guy with a hook. She has it's leavened <laughs> with a lot of uh, humor, and uh, and she, I think she really kind of also captures some of this kind of. It's about this woman who goes to Scotland on kind of a pilgrimage after her grandmother dies to this kind of ancestral land and this kind of very remote, barren, you know, unforgiving uh, island, and she kind of taps into sort of like the. You know this kind of like old weird Scotland uh, sort of. It's very atmospheric show. As I say in my review, I think 
a real challenge when you're doing a fringe show is to take the the space that is being used by in a lot of cases, you know, like ten other shows, and you've got just kind of you don't you can't kind of put up like an elaborate set or anything. You usually have you know kind of small resources, but it can be difficult to kind of make that space your own and kind of take it over. And I think like right even before the show starts, there's this you know spooky breathing that's playing over the speakers, and <laughs> and uh, she really it's really a hypnotic you know cast a spell over the audience. Well, and it's so and, true to Scotland and, yeah, and the yeah. place. Like I lived in Scotland for many years, and I've mm -hmm. I've almost been to St. Kilda, but it's so remote mm -hmm. and it's right at the edge of the world, basically. And I think she did a fantastic job yeah. of creating that atmosphere and encapsulating all of that that lore around mm -hmm. around the place. Yeah, I I really liked it a lot. I'm getting a ticket right now. And she's just she's such a, you know, like in control of material performer I, I was really impressed with her so that's that was that's my big recommendation Great. Um, yeah so what are the ones I saw and I saw way less plays this year than I normally do um, but there were a couple good ones so actually a couple nights ago when I didn't even write about this but I saw ink which I enjoyed and there's another it's physical theater and so something that you know it felt very fringy I would recommend that to people who want to go see kind of like a, a weird and, and wacky fringe show and um, the performer and I'm blanking on his name right now but it's Alistair Knowles uh, Alistair Knowles <laughs> yeah so he did an excellent job I thought just playing with the medium so it's essentially him on stage with a big roll of paper hung behind him and he's got a marker and he's he's kind of like a, a sketchbook character come to life it's kind of what he he's adorned like and he he's pulling out like just reams of paper doing sketches on them quickly and then so the, there ends up you know there's just paper everywhere this whole he's he rolls himself in it he bunches it up he dives into it and then at the end you know and I'm giving all this away but you have to go there and experience it like I can describe it to you but it, you just have to go there the ending of ink was one of the more yeah. impressive visual things that I saw. Totally. And being year, in that sure. was mm -hmm. just, I will, you know, I'll leave that as it is, but it's it's great. Mm -hmm. If you have red wine, put it down because you will <laughs> probably get it on you. You'll maybe on you because you have <laughs> yeah. to deal with paper. Pa even like a in lot the of audience. paper coming yeah. at you like real fast. So yeah, so so that was really fun. I really liked that one. Um, and then the other ones of the ones I did review, um, gender I hold, hardly know them. I would have to give a shout out to, um, which was directed by Paul. Um, Paul Blinov, Paul Blinov. Our usual co-host mm -hmm. on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, that, I just thought it was a really great, it was a sketch show, um, but they had some really insightful and thoughtful monologues. Uh, the two artists on stage are, are uh, trans non-binary folks, and so they gave a lot of really personal stories about their lived experiences, you know, occupying that space in the world, and, and it was great. And especially as someone who's not trans and non-binary, I just, I really appreciate being able to learn more, and what a better way to learn than at a friend show. So. Yeah, cool. My, actually, that segues in a little bit to my next question for the rest of you is, um, what do you think are maybe some of the solid sterling bets that we'll see coming up in June of next year? Mm -hmm. um, usually these skew to locally produced fringe mm -hmm. shows. Um, I think Gender, I hardly know them, and Sydney Campbell and Elena Bellier, who were in mm -hmm. that show and, and wrote that show, um, I think that they have a pretty good shot at um, nominations, because mm -hmm. I've heard a lot about that show. Yeah. Um, and and then I think maybe also the bald soprano will probably get in there. <laughs> like it, like those ones always do, right? Mm -hmm. um, Crescendo is another one I can see coming in there too. That was a delightful yeah. show. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, the the, the yeah. actresses, their harmonies were spectacular, very tight, and the characters are great. 
So yeah, that was a really I, that was a very uh, positive film. Or sorry, like a film, but stage production. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Would you be happy to see? I haven't seen the Bald Soprano, but I uh, to see it nominated. And I say that just because last year with the Zoo Story winning a bunch of stuff, now the Bald Soprano. I the, I wonder. This is a thing I always kind of wrestle with. Is with the Fringe is these are war horse mm. plays, mm-hmm. and if the Fringe is about you know, developing as the space for, you know, at least in part for developing new and exciting voices. Like to be, I mean, shows that maybe were, you know, kind of fringy in their day. But I mean, those are like, what, like 60 year old plays at this yeah. at, at this point done by expert. This is no shade on, on the people putting those shows on. But I always kind of wonder with like even something like, you know, like Red, which yeah. I saw as well. I mean, that's a Tony Award winning Broadway play. And it's a very, I agree, very like sturdy production mm-hmm. of a you know very professional production with good performances of a equity actors quality and directors. play. Yeah. 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 But I feel like, oh, is this, you know, is this what I want to see nominated for a Sterling Award? I would uh, like to see The Flying Detective get a nod because uh, that felt really at home uh, it's a, a local group that put it together and what they pull off is spectacular uh, they pull off special effects and it has the audience cheering and applauding the special effects mm-hmm. uh, it, it felt like an adventure like you were actually excited when the action started um, you couldn't believe they're having a fight sequence on a moving train on stage. <laughs> like, it's, it's extraordinary what they pulled off. So I, I would love to see them get a nod. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What I will say about plays like The old uh, or the Bald Soprano and Zoo Story and Red is that, you know, as someone who grew up with a little bit of theater training, these were plays that you tried to do when you were in high school and did them poorly. Um, and so it is a super, I think it is a real treat, actually, to see heavy-hitting professional companies go up and do these short plays that wouldn't normally ever be part of a main stage season. Mm-hmm. Um, is the Fringe the right space for it? I don't know. Maybe that's what the, the Citadel's yeah. Rice Theatre th- I think if you can take for. that yeah. material <laughs> that's well-known and, and already lauded by lots of other bodies, and you can do something different with it, and you can mm-hmm. make it your own, and you can bring it to an audience in a way that's new and engaging for that audience, like, lucky us, yeah. right? Yeah. I think... Yeah, I think there's absolutely space at the fringe. I mean, our fringe is so huge. There's there's space at the fringe for those shows. Uh, whether or not they deserve to win Sterling's over other shows mm-hmm. is that's a whole other. <laughs> I think <laughs> Sterling's are best when they when they celebrate the community. And yeah. I think if the community has so many fantastic creators and so many fantastic artists, they really yeah. deserve yeah. to be recognized. I guess I I I mean, Red was done at the Citadel for heaven's sake just yeah, a few, a few years, years ago, ago. and yeah. I would I would have no problem with like Michael Payne getting a Sterling nomination for his performance as Mark Rothko, which I thought was very strong. But I would hesitate to not. I I, I like the production. It was yeah one of the strongest I saw, but I would hesitate to nominate it on this completely made up, you know, criteria for what should be nominated that's personal to me uh, for the French play, just because it, it, it doesn't seem to me like a real fringe show. Well, one I would also like to actually bring up that hasn't been brought up was Almost Maine, which is another right, award-winning right, right, play. Right. Uh, that but is it was, the most produced play in yeah. North America. It is, but that was the first time I ever saw it. It was by the Vanguard uh, group, um, sorry, the Vanguard Incorporated is what they're called. It's a bunch of teachers. Uh, that put together and I thought it was charming from beginning to end and they had all nine actors all direct each one segment each and it was so marvelous to see the the variety as I was going through but it still felt in the same same sort of course main, almost main area I thought that was a marvelous thing and it would be nice to see like that was a very local like you're getting mm-hmm. drama teachers uh, mm-hmm. ones who yeah 
So it'd be nice to see that one get a nod too. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think that well, of course, the holdovers usually do have a pretty strong chance to the green line and reality crack as the mm-hmm. as the local contenders sort of in that. Um, if TEDx RFT gets a, a Sterling <laughs> nomination, I might barf. But <laughs> <laughs> they're great. But but no. Um, was there anything super um, like either overrated or underrated in the reviews that you thought was a little bit unjust? Not just in beer tent reviews, but in all the other outlets. I noticed a lot of high-level star ratings for shows that, you know, kind of, if I were giving stars, I'm, I, w- I guess I would have been a little more judicious. Mm. Yeah, I always feel like there's always way too many four- and five-star reviews every mm. Fringe, just because I just think it's the nature of the beast. Um, I think that because the people who are giving stars, often it's a, it's a collection of people who are, uh, as we said earlier, newer reviewers and, and maybe inexperienced. And I think that being a little too kind is maybe like the mark of a, of a new reviewer. I think us seasoned veterans over here are like, ah! Three stars at best. <laughs> you know, so we're we're maybe a little harsher. Um, but yeah, and it's hard. A five star should well, change your life. It should. It should. Like there should be very very few five star. Like out of the shows I've seen in my life, the like hundreds of shows by this point, like a handful. And they're, they're the shows that you'll walk out of there, and ten years later, you're gonna be like, oh man. That was a good show, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. whereas most of the shows you see, you're like, I saw that show. You know, I, there's so much that just kind of gets washed away. Well, one of the things I do enjoy about doing the, the reviews is I'm, I can guide the right audience to the right show. And I think the five stars is where that gets really uh, cumbersome and it actually mm-hmm. can mislead people. Uh, prime example is when I saw Fear and Loathing and uh, Lovecraft. Uh, Mark Mears, of course, adaptation of the, the of course, the comic book that's that was there. Um, it. It was all gray hairs and me and my two friends, mm-hmm. and it was really? an audience. For Lovecraft, yeah. So, but <laughs> but it's Mark Mir. Yeah. So all the, the all the fans of Mark Mir and know his, of course, theatrical presence. Like he is a powerhouse mm-hmm. like, on stage, and he was fantastic in it. But there was a lot of people looking at each other, like, "What? What's going on?" And this had orgies and some very nasty violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it stuck to the Lovecraft thing, and he did it exceptionally well. His uh, characters that he plays, all the monsters, really stand out. But a lot of people. People walked out really baffled by it all. Mm-hmm. And he got five-star reviews down the board for that, in which I do agree that he does deserve, because I, I thought his performance is fantastic. I like the show, but uh, it was bringing the wrong audience to it. Mm-hmm. So, I th- uh, yeah, I, I, that one I think is kind of overrated because it's not giving the audience what they're looking well, for. It it's, kind of, I mean, it's, I it's like the stars. I wonder if it's just kind of breaking down anyway, where there is this kind of awareness on the part of reviewers that a three-star review may be you know, accurate as to the quality of the show, but it, you know, but like if you're recommending a show, you have to give it four or five stars to get people to go mm-hmm. see it, right? And so, it, I mean, either do away with stars completely, or go to, you know, like a Rotten Tomatoes total binary or a thumbs up, thumbs down. <laughs> yeah. But you know, like I mean, that's all it really is now, right? Mm-hmm. Is is a see it or 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 don't see it at, at at this point, and so you get this kind of crazy grade inflation. Yeah, I, I, yeah, like I where's think, the bell curve, really, yeah. when it comes yeah. to these star ratings? And, and I agree, like a five-star review really sets you up to expect, I think it only sets you up for disappointment, right? Yeah. A five-star review really mm-hmm. should be a, you know, once a fringe or, you know, kind of experience, something that really uh, uh, gives you 
like like really gets yeah. to your soul. Like it's not I, it's not just like a strong show. It's a this is something like kind of above and to me anyway. I always when yeah, I was I, editing, I always used to say like really be sparing with the five stars, be very sparing with the you know one stars and bombs and <laughs> um, but. Yeah, no, I agree. I think out of the last several fringes, I have not seen a five-star show. I've seen a lot of very strong shows, uh, but I also saw shows that did get five stars, mm-hmm. but I, not from me, right? Yeah. So, that, well, you know, what does that say right there? And the, the fringe is big enough. We should have a bell curve. Like, out of 257 shows, that's a pretty big sample size. Yeah. They should be falling yeah. between 2.5 yeah. and 3.5. Totally. Yeah. And, I, and I tried to plot this out last year when I was doing some coverage uh, for the fringe for Taproot, and I, you know, I just kind of, like, added up all the four- and five-star reviews, and it's like, it's over half of you know yeah. what oh, the yeah. publications well, give, which seems just way too yeah. high. I've actually received two zero stars. Um, <laughs> wow, that's two, actually two very impressive. Play. Well, out of yeah, I've done seven shows and two zero stars, but the second zero star was actually a meta uh, review. And what it was, I actually have uh, the guy I usually do shows with is Ken Vilgartson, who's a teacher, and he was famous for being let go early for giving zeros uh, mm-hmm. to his students. <laughs> and so we did a play with that as a concept. <laughs> and so the reviewer gave us a zero star. That's and great. the message of the play was it, there's nothing wrong with getting zero. Mm. And so the fact we got to use that as an advertisement, and that sold, <laughs> wow. show Sounds sold like out fantastic. He did, awesome. and but it was funny because people would look at that, and it was the year that you would go onto the Fringe website, and you can fill in the stars or not. So people would look at the five stars, and there was nothing filled in, so they would say, "Oh, five stars." <laughs> so we actually got it on a second level. People thought we were either five stars or a zero. And so we had people leaving our play going, that wasn't five stars. And then other people going out going, oh, that wasn't a zero. That was great. So, Wow. Well, us reviewers will prob- probably debate the, the validity of star ratings until, until the end of time. Um, but thank you all for that, that lively discussion. And uh, we're going to go into our first ad, and then we're going to come back with um, talking about some of the things that happened at the Fringe this year. Because um, there, was, there was a lot for them to deal with. All right. Here's an ad. Taproot Edmonton is a source of curiosity-driven stories about our city, cultivated by the community. It is building a new way to deliver local journalism with a focus on delivering high-quality, long-form local stories, plus weekly roundups of curated updates on local topics like tech, media, city council, food, business, music, and arts, too. You can sign up to become a member and get more info at taprootedmonton.com. P.S. We highly recommend their new weekly arts roundup. It's curated by me, Fonda Mithrush, and supported by the Edmonton Arts Council. All right, and we're back. Um, I wanted to. There's there's been a little uh, another little hiccup for the fringe in the news these last couple of days, and I wanted to start this part of the conversation by um, asking you, Paul, um, because we saw um, I I saw uh, the show that you reviewed for Beer Tent Reviews. I was reviewing it at the same time. Um, Are you loving it? The mm-hmm. theater troupe from Osaka, Theater Gumbo, um, and you got pulled up on stage to yeah. do some audience participation <laughs> in that show. Um, and in light of the recent news that's that's happened, which we can go into a little bit, um, but how did how did you feel about that? <laughs> uh, you know, all things being equal, I would I I don't really want to be pulled on stage. I just you know I I, I mean I've done fringe shows. It's not like I have stage fright or anything, but uh, I've you know 
I, I don't, I'm not big on <laughs> participating <laughs> as an audience member. And I guess you I guess I could also like, I'm reviewing the show. Does that compromise my, uh, I my always wonder about objectivity? That, yeah. uh, uh, in having been part, I didn't mention that I had been pulled up on the show. But uh, for some context, the show is this really crazy, what the fuck is this uh, kind of clown satire i guess it's it's set it's uh, it, it's set in as if it's kind of like a uh the, the the motif of it is like mcdonald's or in this version of it it's whack donald's with the m turned into a w and it's a bunch of you know kind of extremely exaggerated japanese caricatures this kind of smiling grinning handshaking businessman uh this kind of um uh ronald mcdonald pixie clown woman uh this kind of uh kawaii frilly dressed mother with a baby carriage and they're doing i mean there's no plot it's just kind of this series of bits uh, slapstick bits that are kind of lampooning the excesses of american culture all through this funhouse mirror of like Japanese stereotypes and sort of like Japanese game show feel, like yeah, very, yeah, very yes. flashy, very fast and yeah, yeah. silly, and yeah. And as part, I mean, I, uh, God, it would take forever to explain the context in which I was pulled on stage, but I was pulled on stage at one point to participate in one little segment uh, that involved. I, they, I, they went behind a curtain. They put a crazy costume on me. Uh, had to be the you know the the Romeo lover of one of the characters, and then they you know they 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 spat me back out into the audience. So uh, yeah, and so in, well in the context of the situation that is currently going on with the Fringe now, and and what's happened at the late night cabaret where um, an audience member um, was pulled up on stage and had an article of clothing removed um, and did not give consent was quite upset by it. Um, how did you feel about how consent was handled with your mm. experience? I think there was, I mean, I was not the only person who was called on stage. It was a big part of the show. So I guess enough people had been called up on stage already so that when I got singled out, I guess I kind of knew, you know, the neighborhood of what I was in for. Um, and I, you know, I didn't feel humiliated or anything. It was a very, I mean, it's a very silly show, but it didn't feel like there was like malice or like personal like I wasn't being mocked or or anything. It's you know just that it that's it's just that kind of clown thing of you know pulling someone on stage and just having them put into a wacky situation. And <laughs> some of the humor is that it's you know uncomfortable and the person is sort of bewildered. But I I didn't you know I I, I felt that I was in good hands. I guess uh, you know when I'm behind the curtain they sort of whispered little instructions to me and. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I didn't, I, 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 I was, I was, I was fine with it. Uh, you know, it, it, they didn't call, they didn't bring you up on stage and call you Judas, which is, no. an, which is what they do to another uh, audience member in the show. <laughs> yeah. Which I thought was really hilarious, but I don't know how that person felt about right. it. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, but I guess we, I mean, the reason we're talking about audience participation is there was this much more unpleasant encounter that an audience member had a very, at a di an entirely different show, right? I don't mm -hmm. know if you want to... Yeah, as, uh, as part of the late night cabaret. Does anyone else want to give the lowdown on it or should I just do go it? For it. Go for um, it. Okay, so on the Wednesday night, which was I think called Naked Wednesday or something like that at the late night cabaret, um, very well-known fringe performer Mike Delamont, better known as God is a Scottish drag queen, um, is performing a bit as part of the cabaret 
pulls up an audience member on stage. Um, and throughout the um, the encounter, um, Mike gets behind the vo the audience member, so we can't see um, his face. Basically, they're they're kind of not communicating. He locks an arm with him and starts to remove his glasses, and then rips open his shirt. I imagine he was wearing snap buttons. I wasn't there, but I'm guessing one of the reasons he got pulled up on stage was because he had a snap button shirt, and Mike kind of knew what he wanted to do, right? Uh, Mike unbuttoned the shirt carefully. Like oh, it did. wasn't it wasn't like in a flash. Like he actually like had to spend his time doing it. Yeah. So you were there. Yeah, I was there. Okay. Uh, well, how, how do you want to tell us how you felt as an audience? Audience member watching this? Um, I, I mean, I, I feel like it's something that you kind of should expect being in that cabaret. Um, but I don't know. I've I, again, I also like Paul. I would not choose to be up there. Um, but I, it's really tough to say. Was it obvious that the guy was like very? uncomfortable slash like just humiliated didn't want to be there like how, what, how like what was the read on him yeah the fallout of this was with the the police got called yeah. to the late night yeah. cabaret afterwards because this person uh the audience member felt that he had undergone assault mm -hmm. yeah and i mean there had been uh there was the uh the the newfound lad like there was this this man that was serving things to the two hosts that was also very scantily clad from the beginning of the show so you kind of know I think it kind of sets the tone for what the show is going to be like that night, and and when Mike first started like dancing with this audience member, he right away reached for his face, which which felt a little awkward, and then that's when the glasses came off. Uh, but the removal of the shirt uh, felt in tune with the rest of the show to me, uh, but obviously not to the audience member, and that's fair. Mm -hmm. And how did the rest of the show go after this happened? Uh, there were a couple of, of uh, awkward interactions too, or like they had like their food fight segment. They ended up like donating some of the <laughs> some of the food items to, to this audience member, and they were trying to like make reparations in some way, like right there on the stage and like offering him a drink. And, and things like that. Mm -hmm. But then uh, after that, there was the intermission. And then after the intermission, uh, on the second half of the show, yeah, it was just proceeded as normal. Hmm. Um, so this is all kind of getting, I think, a little bit of extra light shone on it because of what happened before The Fringe even started this year, which was when um, the play by David Belke got removed and The Fringe was citing that they're working on their safer spaces policy. Mm -hmm. um, so then for this to happen sort of on the tail end of The Fringe, from the audience side of feeling this safer spaces um, idea, I just want to kind of get a sense of what you're all thinking about that and, and, you know, how does the fringe, which is supposed to be, you know, experimental and edgy and, and all sorts of things, um, how do they, how do they incorporate the safer spaces um, in a way that doesn't compromise what it's really all about? Mm -hmm. Well, my question about the safer spaces policy is what's the repercussions on that? Because like it's, it's a very thorough document. I've read through it now. And, um, and so there's a lot covered in there, but like, I don't think what's clear is what, what do they do when there is a violation? Like we've seen what they've done, which the audience member in this case didn't feel was enough. Um, and, you know, they were, I think they were kind of calling for, for Delamont's show to get canceled. And they, you know, they, they said he's not welcome back to the cabaret, but his show goes on. 
Um, his so, two shows. His two shows. Yeah. yeah, sorry. So, and he's, and I, I have to wonder, um, and it's pure speculation, and we, you know, who knows, but I have to wonder if the outcome would have been different if it was a different artist, like if it was some nobody, you know, this is their first mm-hmm. fringe and, and that's that. But this is Mike Delamont, who has been drawing sellout crowds for years, who has probably sold out his whole run still, like, you know, and, and takes out a full page glossy ad in the fringe program every year, if not two, I think. So, yeah. So, I mean, I, I really do wonder about that and if that was influencing things here. Um, that's my one take. And so my other take is obviously they still have to keep working on this because it's, I don't think this was satisfying to anyone. Well, I, this, it's a really hard uh, for the fringe to actually do this. Uh, speaking of a person who's dealt with controversy in the fringe, uh, my second play uh, was called, um, uh, you, yeah, you could use that. And it was about two comedians, one who was a devil t- training a younger comedian and to basically be the worst person on stage. And one of the things that we brought up was rape jokes. Mm. And it was at the beginning of our play and it's brought up and the, the young one doesn't want to do it, but still goes along with it just because he has to get do the job. And back then that's actually was a very dominant thing in the news. Uh, so we tackled that subject matter. We had a reviewer walk out of our show and then write a review saying this this play is only about uh, unlocking the unlockable rape jokes. But at the end of the play, when everything comes into place with the character, he actually breaks down and says why it's incorrect to do rape jokes. And we brought in the news and we actually were completely against it. And this was us as comedians, because uh, well, there was two stand comedians expressing what we didn't like about it. Mm-hmm. And we actually had no one show to our play because that review, everyone read it and it was a one and a half star from this reviewer who didn't stay. And we luckily had Colin McLean write the review of like basically a day before our last show. And he wrote it saying uh, that at the end of it, they give a, a breakdown saying, yes, this is why rape jokes are not funny. And has a, and he actually gave us three and a half stars and said it was just great, but started it with, uh, I don't like stand-up comedy, but <laughs> <laughs> one of those typical reviews. But nonetheless, we had people show up. And it, it, the Fringe, when people complained about it, our posters were being taken down. Mm-hmm. Uh, people were reading the review. And we had people kind of attacking us uh, for something that we weren't doing. So it's a case where it's really hard for a fringe to say because they're not at every show and they cannot see it. They're hearing it from people's point of views and people's point of views are often what they are feeling at that very moment. Like this guy who gets on stage knowing like they're they said they go to late night cabaret often to not know that this situation may come up seems to be a little daft to me. Like yeah. if you're a fan of that show, I, I get that, but yeah. I the thing is, it was an audience member, right? It wasn't a performer. So That's true. Performers yeah. can get up on stage at the fringe and do basically whatever yeah, within mm-hmm. reason, right? They can take off all their clothes, whatever. Like this is fringe. Um, but that's not what happened. And I think that's a very clear line. And I think that's why this is so um, controversial and why it's not acceptable for what happened. Oh, it's, it's well, I think it's crude and blue. Yeah. Yeah. It's also really old school and maybe kind of tired. Like the whole bit was, you know, he's in drag and he's taking off another man's clothes. And I'm like, that feels really <laughs> tired and dated. And, yeah. and, you know, that humor is, I think we've moved past that. In it. And this very clearly shows that mm-hmm. because the other thing I like to say is, what if that was a woman on stage? Like there would be no yeah. question that if if that was a woman and he ripped off he ripped open her blouse that would have been like assault and yep. like very clear if you know so why is it any different that it's man right yeah yeah it's i mean that's kind of what's interesting about that particular case that was a a man who was uh doing it. and i i don't think you would see a performer undressing a woman on stage no. like no. that i think like audience participation is tricky it's in a lot of friend shows i think you need to have a lot of experience to do it. I think you need to 
protect the audience member. It's a very delicate thing because you know where you 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 want to have something. You it's a, it's a collaborative experience coming with somebody who's sharing the stage with you who is not a performer and doesn't know what's coming next, and and, and it's up to the performer to try and create a collaboration uh, out of that. And this seems like. You know, in the spirit, you know, the kind of anything goes it's body a, atmosphere, the late night cabaret. Uh, the, uh, maybe this is too generous an interpretation from a performer who probably should have known a little bit better that it got. Well, even as I guess, right, as a stand up comic, uh, we're always told to, uh, of course, attack what's above us. Yeah. Uh, and never go below. Right. And what this is, is it, it is embarrassing a person. It's trying to get humor out of someone's discomfort, yeah. which is yeah. not. Like, yeah. It's not good quality entertainment at all. Yeah. yeah. The best audience participation is when the audience member feels. The best audience participation is when the audience feels safe, right? And mm -hmm. so, you know, when you got pulled on stage, you were uncomfortable maybe, but they did give you some instructions. and. Yeah, I mean, it was like I didn't know yeah, like, what to expect. I, I get, I, yeah. you know, I, I wasn't like thinking like fleeing the stage or oh right. get me out of here you right know? and i've you know we've all probably seen shows where the audience member like gets up and leaves like just gets off the stage i've seen that a couple times where they were like no i will have no part of this and you know that's as, me <laughs> i if i get pulled up on stage i'm like sorry no no <laughs> yeah. well and and so and that's fair i think that that should be respected then too is like mm. you know if that person chooses really not to be there then okay they've chosen not to be there and yeah you can get some some laughter out of oh look how uncomfortable they are but after that goes on for like 30 seconds it's like get, just get them off the stage because mm -hmm. the show is suffering yeah, and, and yeah. It, it's, it's yeah. not funny anymore often yeah. often I find that audience participation even in especially with street performers too is that they'll pick men out of the audience to mm. somehow you know humiliate a little mm. bit just like are you strong enough to do this or you know or like we'll put you in a silly costume or something mm. like that um, and so I think that you know th this was definitely a lesson to be learned I think um, at the cabaret and at the fringe and um yeah it was <laughs> I, I just I don't, I, don't but know what the, I don't know what the penalty is for oh. violating the audience's well, trust though like yeah he's gonna is. yeah a lot of people like prime example from uh the, when we had that that show with the the bad joke Mm -hmm. uh, people didn't show up to it because they just like, well, I'm not going to support that. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure he's going to actually feel that. The marketplace. Yeah. Will... Yeah. yeah. I wonder if it, it'll even out for, we'll see how many shows he has next year, I guess. Mm -hmm. I liked uh, I, I liked how Indecision, uh, I forget uh, the actor's name, uh, she did a great job with her audience participation. She, she just brought two different people at different times just to play her fiancé, uh, but just for one question. That's it, mm -hmm. and and she s speaks to the audience often, like the nature of her show, and allows her to do that. So right away from the beginning, she says, uh, "I just, you know, just need someone to like to just uh, riff off off on this on this decision that I have to make, and I'll be very nice to you, I promise." Like you know, she has the opportunity to mm -hmm. to do that, which was great, and uh, yeah, they they were not about making fun of the audience member; it was about setting herself up with. 
a random answer or a random reaction from the audience member, mm -hmm. and that was that was a great job. Yeah, there are some really great examples, I think, of good audience participation. One of the one of the most successful shows of last year and this year's Fringe for Science. That's what I was about is, to say. Yeah, is all about audience participation, and it's fully audience driven too. Um, you think that the you know it almost seems like the performers who are putting on the show aren't actually doing that much because the audience is actually the whole show. They can't wait to run on stage. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. is such a free zone. And I was actually asked why I didn't do it myself. And it's because I had the reviewer badge on. I thought that would be badly taste if I'm trying to go up and get attention mm -hmm. as if I'm reviewing it. So I stayed back. But I, I wanted to. Like I was like that's the only time I think in a show where I was antsy going oh, I should just take this thing off and run up there. Yeah, <laughs> and as someone who loathes audience participation, I still had a great time watching that show. Yeah. It felt communal, like it felt joyful in the end when they finally finished the the little orchestra that they built. Um, so yeah, well I guess I mean we've we've chatted for a while yeah. on all of that. Is there anything yeah. anyone else wants to? Oh add? well, I just I mean the, you brought up the Belky thing, and I don't know, mm. which seems like that's a very different kind Wait. of. Thing where it's basically, it seems like I've, I used to be give the kind of, so David Belke, long, I mean, I think he's been in the fringe since, like, if over not the first fringe, yeah, like, yeah. you know, and is, and was one of the most reliable, you know, sterling nominated, box office successful fringe players until, uh, what, a year or so? 2017. Mm -hmm. When he was arrested for possession of child pornography, mm -hmm. did some time in prison has been out of the scene for a while and then kind of unexpectedly without much, you know, kind of, uh, he had a play in the Fringe this year, which I guess was kind of commissioned by the church as part of a rehabilitation effort. Uh, no, they, they, had, they had started that play before oh, okay. this all came out. Um, I know some people who were involved in like the first reading. It was before anyone knew like what, you know, it was okay. before the Belky thing happened. So um, so I think they were just, they wanted to kind of continue the play that they had started I before see. this, okay. but they had commissioned Belky to write it. Right. Yeah. And then when people noticed David Belky, play in the fringe uh, eventually under pressure the play was pulled so uh, so you know I don't know what to think about this Belkey he has done his time in prison he's a criminal uh, and I guess I guess the public has decided like that he is morally transgressed enough that we don't want him to be part of the fringe he hasn't I don't think that he's accused of like being a predator, he's just possessed the material, which is bad. But yeah, you know, I'm just, I just, I make that distinction just, you know, to differentiate from someone who is actually, you know, I mean, and I'm saying there's no harm in what he's done, but um, so I don't think like he's not an immediate threat. I don't think to to anyone, but we decided like that we just are not going to have a play by David Belkey in the Fringe, I guess, ever, ever again. Well, and then what about all the other plays by people with, you know past transgressions, right? Like, I'm sure yeah. if we dug through the playbill, or not the playbill, sorry, the program, we would find some some mm -hmm. old school things in there. This where... is Yeah, this is the thing about the Fringe in 260 shows, and sure. we don't know everyone who's involved and mm -hmm. what their past is and all of right. that. So, I mean, yeah, um, I don't know. know Belky. Yeah, I mean, is this a case where the, the marketplace has decided that, like, it's not just, like, people decide, I'm not going to attend that play because I object to this playwright. They've decided, no, this play should not be put on I think this might also be affected by how close of time it has been. Yeah. Because uh, mm -hmm. people need to sort of adjust to that. Mm -hmm. Like, they are... Like, uh, the, one of the main reasons why people were complaining is they were uncomfortable knowing that he was going to be in, mm -hmm. like, around the fringe area. People don't want to see him. 
And it's a case where it's, it is their own personal feelings about how what he's done. So even though people do agree that he's done his time and he is in recuperation, uh, they're still uncomfortable with it. And it, it's something that's still lingering in the sky. And so with the world we are now, with people complaining about uh, so much stuff and people getting upset and very personal and allowing it, I think putting him out in public uh, this early was also hurting to him. Like if he's a person who's trying to heal himself and trying to get off that, putting him out into that world right now and too soon, I thought was awful. Yeah. Well, that's a Good. that's a like PR miscalculation. Yeah. 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 I just don't know. Uh, I really don't know what I think about this. Like mm-hmm. that. That. Like so. How long do we think? <laughs> how many years have to elapse yeah. Yeah. before before another before a David Belkey play? And I'm not. I'm not necessarily pushing for another David Belkey play to be put on. But I'm just like. I, I wonder. Think perhaps the. Oh no, sorry. Go ahead. I, I wonder if it would have been different if if it if the show had been put on a venue that was adult only, uh, because one of the one of the other factors was that there are TYA shows mm-hmm. in that same venue, mm-hmm. and so and again he was not convicted for being a predator, but but still. Uh, I think that was definitely a, a, a PR mm-hmm. mistake on the producer's part or I don't yeah, know, the, the venue managers, somebody. And you saw the Fringe trying to get in front of that with the agreement that they had with the venue that was put in place way earlier than all of this actually even came out on the news. Um, that there were rules around when Belky would be able to be at the venue, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. And still then, um, once the public really did get uh, knowledge, once the program came out basically, um, and tickets went on sale, that they said, um, no, we'd prefer not to not to have this person uh, in the space. I think perhaps the, for me, in situations like this, the bigger question and the more philosophical question, I guess, is how, how do you, as a consumer of art, go out into the world and, and consume something by someone whose work you might respect, but whose moral compass you might have issues with? And I know everyone will have, you know, very deep um, feelings about this situation that's affected our community in many, many different ways. But I think to zoom out of the micro and back to the macro, how do you go and see, like, I have trouble seeing Mamet Mm -hmm. because of his conduct in the world. I love Ernest Hemingway, his books, but not the person. So how do I, how do I reconcile that within myself as a, as a consumer of, of the art and go, okay, how do I separate my feelings about the person? and what they may have done, and my feelings about the work. Can I do that? Can I separate mm-hmm. them? Or is it a Venn diagram that, will, you know, especially when you're in a tight-knit community like, like Edmonton, is that impossible to separate? Yeah, a few, a few years ago, Mieko Uchi also experienced that with her show, The Blue Light, where she was trying to enjoy the art of, of this um, director, female director, I forget her name. Lenny Riefenstahl. Yes. Uh, um, and, but, and, and, kind of to ad- admire and and put a spotlight on her work on the, the director's work in a way separate trying to separate it from from basically Nazi propaganda mm-hmm. so it, it's tough it, it didn't work out that well for Mieko because it's really tough to just say this you know we're not condoning Nazism we just want to see this as mm-hmm. as like valuable film 
Well, and uh, I suppose it, for the fringe where you're supposed to be pushing boundaries and you're supposed to, you know, uh, be presenting stuff that's a little bit edgy and a little bit more on the dangerous side, um, you can fall into that trap of what's too dangerous and what's not dangerous well, enough. I come to the fringe to be pushed. What is what is a little crazy? I feel like there is, I, I'm forgetting the name of it, but like I feel like I have seen plays, maybe not necessarily at the fringe, but, you know, respective plays that try and present like a, a character who's like a child molester or something and present them in kind of like a humanizing way, not forgiving them for their crimes, but trying to present them as three-dimensional figures. And those plays will get a lot of praise for mm-hmm. their mature and sophisticated mm-hmm. attitude towards a difficult moral issue. But in real life with a real, not a child molester, but uh, uh, we are not prepared to make that, um, you know, Well, it's, it's moral fiction it's versus seen. reality. Mm-hmm. I think well, it's a lot easier to view fiction a from a context, safe place. Like, if you really feel like, ah, oh, yes, I, th- I feel that that is a legitimate thing in art to sort of see people in the totality of their humanity, uh, then are you, I mean, it just seems like a little rich to not be willing to extend that. I don't say forgive it. Like, I, I don't I don't really know what I want, what outcome I am really pushing well, for. I go, to, I go to see but, Medea and I think Medea, what a great, what a great character. She's done horrible things, but I can I can level with her on certain points. So it's, hmm. it's yeah. and we read Lolita the, and things like that still. The too, filter you know? of fiction <laughs> gives us gives us a little bit of perspective. And mm-hmm. then when, when you have something actually happen in reality, I think then you might have opinions that you didn't think that you would have if you saw it on on stage. I think what's kind of interesting about both of these instances a little bit is that it doesn't really have to do much with um, the fringe content, like what happens on fringe stages within the plays, what the plays are really about. This is more about how we are all reacting as a society to um, people in the community, to things that happen in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, that's different than what's happening in the plays. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. I think I think is something maybe to to note. Well, I, I just want to say one thing that just it's very interesting how this discussion about Belkey and then flip that to an incident that happened at the fringe on stage in front of like hundreds of people, and then the reactions like were so different, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's this actual incident that happened that some have said is assault, and then it seems to have just kind of like most people are like not really taking it that seriously. Um, some people very much are. Um, so I think that's very interesting. And I mean, if you look at who the who the victims were, I mean, it, with Belki, it was children and, and with the Delamont thing, it was it was a grown man. So I think that's kind of worth unpacking right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It says a lot right they there. They can't just necessarily been, be thrown into the same box of problematic things that happened yeah. around the fringe. <laughs> Uh, one of the disturbing things, actually, and this happened to me last year, uh, Belky's name has now become uh, a name that is like a weapon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and because last year like uh, my play team. actually won the uh, the oh the Patriot or sorry no that Patriot what's uh, the, the the people voted for it like the audience. Oh, uh, like the Patron Award. Patron, I don't, yeah, yeah, I don't remember yeah. what it's called. But yeah. Well, we, we actually, when we won, uh, we actually had people from the Fringe come up to me after saying, "Be warned! People are now saying that you were a surrogate writer and or name for Belky." And I've done plays for like well, eight plays I've written, so I was insulted. But I was like, "Well, at least Belky's. If you're going to compare me to a, a criminal, at least I can. It's a good writer, I guess." But, but that was how people were trying to bring me down because once we won an award, people that rumor went out and saying that. So that's how people were trying to. They say, oh, no, he won, but, you know, it is actually Belky's play. It's just he was using his name. I was like, no, why would you do that? But that that name is out there now like a weapon so you can hurt people. Mm -hmm. 
And it's now become beyond the person. It's actually now, yeah, it's uh, something that's in our society that people are dealing with. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. well, thank you everyone for that, <laughs> for for going through all that. It was what a wild, what a wild fringe it has what been. Fringe. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, uh, thank you all for coming and spending time here. Maybe just give your names all one more time as we sign off. Sure, Mel Priestley, Paul Matwichuk, Alejandro Moreno, and Jean Paul Fournier. Danielle LaRose. And this is Andrew Paul, and I'm Fonda. And thank you all again. Uh, yeah, hopefully we'll all be, all be back for Beer 10 Reviews next year. Yay! Yay. <laughs> creative minds need creative banking. That's why ATB created the Branch for Arts and Culture, a branch that understands artists don't live by the rules or standard pay schedules. So you can be creative and not have to worry about your checking account. It's a creative space for creative types, and just one more way ATB will always be more than just a bank. To learn more, visit atb.com slash the branch. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for, again, for tuning in to I Don't Get It and to all of our guests um, for, for weighing in on, on all of those things about the Fringe. 2019, well, it's, it's been a doozy, hasn't it? <laughs> um, okay, so here's some listings that are coming up to kick off your um, post-Labor Day uh, theater season. Uh, running from September 3rd through 8th, Rent is coming to the Jubilee Auditorium. Uh, starting on September 21st uh, is The Color Purple at the Citadel Theater. That runs till October 3rd. Uh, Teatro La Quindicina's next show, Vidalia, starts on September 26th. It runs to October 12th. Of course, that's at the Varscona Theater. And September 27th through 29th, Play the Fool Festival, which is Edmonton's Clown Festival, is running at the Backstage Theater. And then on September 25th through 28th, this was just announced, it's a musical called No Change in the Weather, um, a Newfoundland musical. And that's also running at the Arts Barns um, at the Westbury Theater. Uh, also, yeah, fringe, uh, fringe holdovers do run until August 31st, so be sure to catch those uh, uh, if you can. And yeah, thanks again for listening through the summer, everyone. Uh, go see some shows. Bye. <laughs> I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or check us out on albertapodcastnetwork.com or the CKUA radio app. I Don't Get It is recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta, in the Edmonton Community Foundation's podcast studio. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli, and you can find more of Ghibli's music by going to ghibli.bandcamp.com. I Don't Get It is produced by Andrew Paul, Fonda Mithrush, and Paul Blenov. Sit here thinking about love.